Hi everyone, welcome to SAMA, a program which invites an expert each week to discuss a topic from their area of expertise. This week we are delighted to have Dr. Navaz Habib to tell us about the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is the largest and most important nerve in your body. It carries messages to and from your brain, gut, heart, and other major muscles and organs. However, common issues like inflammation, stress, or physical drama can interfere with the nerve's ability to function. What would happen if this nerve is injured or cut? In this episode of SAMA, you'll learn simple yet powerful techniques to activate your vagus nerve and take control of your health. Dr. Navaz Habib studied medical sciences at the University of Western Ontario. Upon discovering functional medicine, he uncovered the root causes of his health conditions and overcame them using simple lifestyle changes and daily practices, like standing during interviews. Dr. Habib works to identify the underlying causes of energy issues, hormone-based conditions, autoimmune diseases, and metabolic concerns. With the support of the team at the Living Proof Institute, he uses simple daily lifestyle changes to help thousands of patients create positive health outcomes. Welcome to Salman Navaz. It's fantastic to have you with us. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Tell us, how did you first become interested in natural methods for healing? Yeah, this is a, a great question. It actually leads me into my entire story of how I uh, came into uh, doing what I do today. So I started uh, in medical sciences at the University of Western Ontario, as you stated, and uh, was learning about the body and how the body uh, needed to have certain things working in order for it to work optimally. Yes. I then went on to do chiropractic college. So I am a doctor of chiropractic. Yes. And um, that's where I really became interested in the nervous system and how the nerves affect overall health, cellular function, and that type of uh, thing. And, and the philosophy behind chiropractic care is very holistic. It's very natural. It's based in the fact or the belief that the body has all of the tools that it currently needs. It simply needs certain tools from an external environmental perspective to improve overall function, yes. to improve cellular function. Yes. And so as a chiropractor, I was working on people's physical bodies. I was making sure that their nerves were working correctly, that their bodies were moving optimally. Yes. And that was where I started in the holistic and natural healthcare model. But as I was doing so, at the same time, I was dealing with my own health challenges and I didn't really realize the extent to which I was causing myself harm. At my absolute max, I weighed 250 pounds. Oh, my. Five foot six and a half. So my weight was significant. Yes. Um, I was dealing with high blood pressure, with high blood sugar, with borderline diabetes, with uh, sleep apnea. I was dealing with all of these challenges without knowing why I was dealing with them, other than the fact that I knew that I might have too much of a dietary issue going on. Yes. These challenges were, uh, were there, and I wanted to get to the root of it. I didn't want to simply just lose weight to figure out what was going on. I had to dig a little bit deeper. 
And that's when I was introduced to functional medicine. And functional medicine, as many of your guests have uh, stated as well, functional medicine is rooted in the idea of addressing cellular function, addressing the root cause of what causes that cellular dysfunction to occur. And that's how I uh, shifted and, and obviously rid quite a bit of that excess weight, uh, addressed a lot of those metabolic health challenges, cellular dysfunction that was going on. I was able to then go on to uh, improve my overall health, lose that weight and not have those challenges bother me anymore. And so that was my introduction to functional medicine. So that's how I kind of came to where I am today. And the topic for today, the vagus nerve. Where yes. does it come into the picture? So the vagus nerve has always been a really interesting uh, thing to me. Uh, ever since chiropractic school, ever since probably even medical college, or uh, my, my degree at the University of Western Ontario in medical sciences, always had a bit of a connection to the neurological system to the nerves and there was always that one nerve that kind of stuck out to me and as a chiropractor I initially thought about the sciatic nerve and how it affects pain in the back and the yeah. lower back and into the leg yes. but with regard to functional medicine the nerve that really has that connecting force and that connecting behavior is the vagus nerve it's so strongly connected to all of the processes involved in cellular dysfunction, in inflammation, in immune system regulation, in ensuring that neurotransmitter balance is optimal, that microbiome is working correctly. It kind of incorporates all of that, and it's that connecting piece between the gut and the brain. So the vagus nerve is like the mother vein. That's the, uh, one of the, one of the uh, big players. Yes, absolutely. If, if, um, if there were a few nerves to kind of state as being the most important nerves in the body, the yeah. vagus nerve would be amongst the top. Absolutely. Okay. Um, physically, what is the vagus nerve? So the vagus nerve actually is, it's a misnomer. It's two nerves. It's two nerves, one on each side of the body. Okay. And they coalesce and they kind of come together to form a network uh, in the center of the body, but they begin in the cranium. They're actually a cranial nerve. So we have 12 pairs of cranial nerves. And these are nerves that begin at the top of the brain stem, at the top of the spinal cord area. And these nerves actually, for the most part, these 12 pairs of nerves will affect only what's in the head and face area, the cranium. But the vagus nerve is the only nerve, it's the 10th cranial nerve, it's the only nerve that actually leaves the cranial cavity and comes down into the rest of the body. It has nerve branches that go to the ear, to the skin of the ear. It has nerve branches to the muscles of the back of the throat uh, and into the uh, larynx and pharynx. It has nerve endings that go to the heart, to the lungs to the stomach, the small intestine, large intestine, pancreas, spleen, the liver, kidneys. It has branches everywhere throughout all of our intestinal and gut-based organs. And so it's very, very important in getting information to and from all of those organs to the brain and back. And so this is where the importance of the vagus nerve is really shown in the fact that when it's coming down through the neck, it's actually sitting right alongside your carotid artery and your jugular vein. 
the two most important blood vessels because they're the ones that take the blood to and from the brain. So in our carotid sheath on either side of our neck, we have a carotid artery, which is bringing blood up to the brain. We have a jugular vein, which is taking the blood away from, and we have the vagus nerve as well. So those are the three components of the carotid sheath. And that's why I'll say that it's such an important nerve. So the vagus nerve is like a, like a freeway, if you will. Yes, absolutely. It's um, it's where the where the bulk of the um, the information goes to all parts of your body, and wow, that's quite amazing. So, you mentioned microbiome before. We've had Thomas recently about the microbiome. How can the vagus nerve control the microbiome of your body? So it doesn't actually control it, but it actually senses and tells the brain as to what's going on with regards to the microbiome. Okay, and. This is where it's really important to understand the gut-brain axis. This is where the microbiome affects the brain, but it affects it through the vagus nerve being one path and then through the bloodstream and the hormones as a secondary path. But that primary path by which the gut affects the brain through the microbiome is through the vagus nerves. Gosh. Well, it sounds quite good. What, What on earth can go wrong? (laughs) <laughs> absolutely it's a great great question and this is where we can get into all of the conditions that are associated with vagus nerve dysfunction and and uh inflammation really is at the root of this so when the microbiome is affected in some negative way when there's some level of imbalance if there's parasites that show up worms that show up if there are bacterial imbalances or yeast then what tends to happen is in the gut we have an inflammatory response. Our immune system starts to create some sort of immune response. And so our cells start saying, hey, it's time to be on high alert. Something is occurring that should not be occurring. Yes. And so what it's going to do is it's going to send a signal to the through the vagus nerve to the brain saying something is going on here, right. Okay, that there is something going on. But at the same time, that inflammatory process is occurring in the gut and in other parts of the body. Yes depending on each person, on their genetics, on the type of imbalance that's occurring in the gut, that inflammation can spread. It can become an autoimmune type of issue. Mm. It can become uh, anxiety or depression. It can lead to sensitivities in the gut directly on their own. It can lead to brain fog, which is almost just like um, an inability to think clearly, uh, a a feeling that things are, are not working optimally. Yeah. And, and, and like memory type issues can be very linked to this. But those aren't actually damaging to the vagus nerve because what the vagus nerve does in the gut is actually affect inflammation levels. It's actually putting the brakes on inflammation. The way it does so is through a system called the cholinergic anti-inflammatory system. It uses the neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, which uh, comes together from acetyl-CoA and choline. And it, comes together in those nerves and then is used as the signaling mechanism to reduce inflammation levels in the gut and uh, via the spleen as well. So directly sending signals to these organs that are going to help bring the inflammation levels down. Now, if the vagus nerve is not working correctly, then inflammation levels can come up and become uncontrolled. It's like having a car that's speeding down the freeway without having brakes to slow it down, to bring it back into control. Because inflammation is a great and important piece of our our health, 
but it needs to be controlled. Otherwise, it's just a runaway train, essentially. Right. right. So what can affect the vagus nerve in a negative way? What can cause the vagus nerve to work uh, less than optimally is there's a very, uh, very few important pieces. So what if it becomes cut? What if it actually gets damaged through some sort of traumatic event, mm. through a surgery, which is a common occurrence, through right. um, physical trauma, like a whiplash type injury as well, can really affect that in a negative way. Mm. Those are physical traumatic ways that the, uh, the nerve can actually have some sort of dysfunction and decreased uh, signaling between the top and the bottom. Okay. There's biochemical ways that this can happen as well. We could have low levels of acetyl-CoA and low levels of choline coming into the body. And so we don't have enough acetylcholine being produced and an inability to signal from uh, the synapse or from the uh, axon to the dendrites of the next neuron through the vagus nerve, through the synapse of the nerves. Okay. Wow. And then from a biochemical perspective, uncontrolled inflammation levels parasites. There's actually some really great research out that's shown that uh, parasites in the gut can send, uh, can actually travel straight up through the axon of the vagus nerve to the brain. There's a ton of information now that's coming out over the last couple of years that there are plaques, alpha-synuclein plaques that occur in Alzheimer's are actually traveling from the gut to the brain, which is just absolutely it blows people's minds when they hear this because we're now realizing that Alzheimer's and dementia and Parkinson's and these, these uh, neurological deficit deficits that we feel were only happening in the brain are actually coming from somewhere. And we're having this pathway by which these, these mechanisms are occurring. And that pathway is through the vagus nerve. So when there's uncontrolled function of the vagus nerve, those things can occur and those plaques, alpha synuclein plaques actually make their way up. So there's so many different things where a poor diet can affect these things. When the microbiome is imbalanced, it will affect these things. If the, if the train is running way too much, the brakes aren't able to kind of handle what they need to do. The really important thing to remember with regards to the vagus nerve and optimizing its function and not allowing it to go off uh, the path is to ensure that you're not under stress all the time. Right. This is an important, important thing. The vagus nerve, not only does it send signals between the brain and all of those organs that I discussed, Mm -hmm. but it is the parasympathetic control, okay? It is the major way by which we put the brakes on everything and put ourselves into a system called the rest and digest system. It is the way that we limit our stress and go from a fight or flight based perspective into a rest and digest and a calm perspective. It lowers the heart rate. It lowers the breath rate. It lowers the inflammation levels, but it does so at the same time by getting us out of a stress state where we're under uh, significant emotional, chemical, and biological stress as well. So when we're under a lot of those stressors, we can cause the vagus nerve to not work correctly. And that's the long answer to how the vagus nerve can become dysfunctional. In a way, it's quite scary what you're describing because, well, if if, um, Alzheimer's travels basically up the vagus nerve, well, 
do other pathogens travel up the vagus nerve? You know, it's a very great question, and there's a lot of research coming out recently. There, there's so many people that have realized just how important the vagus nerve is in those in the conditions that we've talked about, and yes. and realizing that there could be so many more answers out there if we just look at this nerve, which for such a long time in the medical community has been overlooked. Absolutely. Well, most people, I guess, including myself, would have lived life without really thinking of losing any sleep over their vagus nerve <laughs> or really realizing what, a, what the vagus nerve is and how to spell it even. It could Definitely. well be, it could be a body part that comes into the spotlight over the um, next few months. Is this yeah, it is actually. It's, it's certainly becoming more, more in the spotlight because people are realizing the importance of it. It's really coming out as that connecting point between the gut and the brain. And now because we understand so much more about the importance of the gut, we're now realizing when the gut is off, how does that signal get to the brain? Well, the most common path, the most direct path is that freeway that is the vagus nerve. Yes. They say that the gut is the largest immune organ. Yep, absolutely it is. So it's very, very important. And, and now with this um, connection, direct um, phone line to the brain, maybe that's part of the reason why the communication yes. is so good there. The gut is the wingman to the brain or vice versa, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have to work uh, very well together. And that's a great way to put it. I really like that. Yes. Do people who live in different climates, everyone at the moment is suffering from their, their own particular uh, solstice, whether it's uh, winter solstice or summer solstice, the lucky, lucky ones are in the summer solstice at the moment. Um, does, does the vagus nerve change the, the, its, its uh, behavior between summer and winter? I don't think there's a direct correlation between summer and winter. However, there is a direct correlation between our behaviors when it's warm and when it's cold. We tend to, when it's cold, I'm currently, I'm in Toronto, so I'm very much experiencing the winter solstice and the uh, <laughs> indoor times right now. So uh, for me, what I'm experiencing is I'm spending a lot more time indoors. I'm spending a lot more time uh, with more clothing, with with full sleeves, um, with jackets on. I don't enjoy going out as much, so I spend more time riding my my exercise bike inside or doing things indoors, and that's not allowing me to have high levels of vitamin D conversion from uh, just the regular vitamin D levels. And the vitamin D vagus nerve connection is very strong, just as the vitamin D immune system connection is also very strong. I wouldn't say there's a direct link between the weather and the vagus nerve function, but we tend to be able to relax and be more calm during the summertime, during the warmer weather, we tend to go outside more, we tend to have higher levels of vitamin D. And by doing so, we will then have uh, an improved, improved uh, vagus nerve function because we're under less stress. Right. Okay. Now you're standing during this interview. I'm, I'm sitting, of course, but you're standing. Is that because you know about the vagus nerve and standing is better? You know what? There's, there's nothing to be said for, uh, specifically, I'm, I'm not standing for my vagus nerve. I'm standing because I want to activate a lot of the muscles in my legs. I want to make sure that I'm not sitting all day. And this is an important 
thing that I've learned uh, for it's it's obviously been known. Sitting is the new smoking, and we need <laughs> to make sure that we change that. So what we need to do is stand up to improve blood flow. And when we improve blood flow and we improve our stress levels, the vagus nerve is positively affected in a very similar way. So this is a great question, uh, but no, I'm not standing because of my vagus nerve. That said, I do feel less stressed when I do this and I feel better. And so that will allow vagus nerve function to improve. You mentioned the um, acetate uh, choline affecting the vagus nerve. Did I say that uh, the compound correctly? There's, um, if it's just the vagus, it wouldn't be just the vagus nerve, surely it'll be other nerves as well that are affected because. Yeah, uh, acetylcholine is the uh, neurotransmitter by which the vagus nerve sends all of its signals, mm. but it's not the only nerve by which those, this, those signals are sent. The acetylcholine actually is also um, the neurotransmitter that's used by the muscles, the, the motor neurons, the nerves that send signals to the muscles yes. of our body. So all of our skeletal muscles, all of the muscles that I'm using by standing up right now, the muscles in my arms and legs, whenever I want to move, that signal that's being sent through that nerve is uh, signaling using acetylcholine, as well as some other nerves as well. But um, the major neurotransmitter for movement is uh, acetylcholine. Okay. Uh, we, you touched us briefly on brain fog. I'd like to dip our toes in this a little bit more. Um, people that have Lyme disease, do you think that their vagus nerve may be damaged? So I'm going to speak a little bit about uh, what causes vagus nerve dysfunction, the, the conditions that it's associated with. So vagus nerve dysfunction is associated with any of the organs that are linked to the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve connects, like I said, to all of the organs below the diaphragm, small intestine, large intestine, stomach, gallbladder, pancreas, liver, kidneys, spleen. It's also affected, uh, affecting the heart and the lungs as well. And so it's very, very important to uh, assess the function of all of these. And so there's ways to know whether the vagus nerve is working well or not. We'll talk a little bit about those, but the condition. Oh, damn. <clears throat> the, the pancreas is the most common one, but having low levels of digestive enzymes can be uh, a big issue as well. So affecting vagus nerve function in the pancreas, <coughs> we're going to potentially have type two diabetes, we're going to potentially have issues with metabolic dysfunction is strongly associated with it as well. We also have that reflex in our small intestine that sends uh, a signal telling us that we're full in our stomach and our small intestine to our brain. And that fullness factor is also through uh, vagus nerve and the stretch receptors in those organs. So our stomach will stretch out when we have enough food, then that signal will be sent through the stretch receptors to the brain. When we have low vagus nerve function, that stretch uh, receptor signal will not be sent through. So having issues where we overeat or undereat, having issues where we have blood sugar dysfunction can be a, a very big sign of this as well. So really important to look into pancreatic function. I think we have John back. 
I'm not sure that I'm back or not. Um, yeah, it's, it's annoying when the internet gets a little bit naughty. Like this, but no I problem, John. I, I wanted to let you know I continued on a little bit and started like talking about professional. Yes, I, in fact, there's talk on this side of having, having you as the uh, Samaki um, host. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. I would never want to take your place this way. <laughs> I hate it magically. Thank you for that. Um, no problem. So I was yeah. speaking a little bit about the organs that are affected and the conditions that are associated with it as well. Yes, it's quite it's quite uh, broad spectrum, isn't it? There's nothing that the vagus... It, is, it is. And I was talking a little bit about the pancreas right now. And I can talk about liver as well. The liver is very, very important in our bodies. Our liver has 500 some odd different functions. And the signal that's sent from the liver to the brain is very much a status signal telling us what's going on, what's coming in, are things working correctly in the liver. Detoxification being the most important of all of those functions and biotransformation, the ability to get rid of toxins. So we're able to look at those things. If we have poor liver function, that could be a sign of vagus nerve dysfunction or the inability to send that signal as well is very important. Right. Wow. Well, what can we do about it? If, if your vagus nerve is not functioning correctly, uh, is it a, like a one of those things we can't do much about or can we be proactive? Um, that's exactly why I wrote my book. So the book is called Activate Your Vagus Nerve. And I wrote that book specifically because there are so many different things that we can do. Um, the vast majority of which are at absolutely no cost to us. It's very, very good to, uh, to determine um, how we can address it. But before we can figure out uh, how to address it, we have a really great question here. How would you discern whether the vagus nerve is operating suboptimally? So we want to figure out, vagus nerve function is it actually working well or not yes. there's a couple of different tests that i have my clients do one of which is a very simple test to do um, it is not a specific vagus nerve function but um a function test but it's it's a great way to see if if our gut and our vagus nerve are working well right. and that's called the bowel transit time test and i i outline these tests in the book uh completely but with the um, bowel transit time test, a very simple way to do this is to take some uh, white sesame seeds or some yellow sesame seeds and uh, take a spoonful of them raw and uh, toss them into water and take a sip of that water without chewing those seeds. And you're going to mark down the time at which you uh, swallow or drink those seeds. Yes. And then what you're going to do is you're going to keep an eye out for those seeds as they pass through your body and see how long it takes for them to start to show up in your stools. Okay. And that's why you want to make sure that you choose the white sesame seeds and not the black sesame seeds because you probably won't Enough see detail. them. Enough detail. <laughs> and so it's very important to start to mark down the moment you start to see those seeds in your stools, mark down that time. And the moment you finish seeing them, because it may actually spread over a period of time, our bodies don't have the enzymes to break down the, sh the shell of these seeds, the outer layer. Okay. And so that's a great way to see how long it, it takes to get down. It's called the bowel transit time test. Okay. So with that, um, you're looking for that time to be anywhere between 16 and 24 hours. Okay. Um, 
anything less than 12 hours, anything that's like 10 hours or so is suboptimal. And anything more than 24 to 36 hours is a sign that it's moving too slowly. That's a really simple test. Anybody can do at home to see not only if vagus nerve is working well, because if it's working well, we're going to have good movement and things happening between kind of that 16 to 24 hour period. Whereas if it's not working uh, optimally, then the times will be off. Now, that said, the best way, the number one most effective and most accurate way to check vagus nerve function is through heart rate variability, HRV. And so there are tools out there that you're able to help with that. Um, I have an aura ring, a ring that actually tracks my heart rate variability while I sleep that actually tracks the time between beats of my heart. And when we have the time between beats of uh, the heart, we're able to see the variation between that. I'm not going to get into a, a whole timeline to be able to understand what that means, but HRV is a really important thing to look at. Um, and it is actually the strongest way of discerning whether or not the vagus nerve is working optimally or suboptimally. Here's the key. With HRV, lower numbers are worse, higher numbers are better. We want high variability. We want that the millisecond time between those beats to vary. We want a lot of variation. We don't want it to be rhythmic beats of the heart. We want variation. So that is the best way. So the Aura Ring is a wonderful tool that I've personally used. Um, there's tools such as the heart math tool that I've got over there, um, which is something that clips to the ear and you can use the app on your phone as well. We have, um, I've got my tool over here as well. My elite HRV app right here, um, that connects to my uh, phone as well. So I'm checking my HRV in many different ways, but this is simple. Put your finger into the machine and track it on the app and sit for a minimum of three minutes to be able to see what the numbers are like and then be able to look at those numbers over a longer period of time as well. Right, wow. Now during the test, you just keep perfectly still? You don't have any... The idea is to be uh, not moving and uh, just breathing calmly. And you're actually able to positively affect your HRV the more calm you become. So there was a really great question as well. Um, I actually don't know about the Spooky 2 tracking HRV on biofeedback. So that would be a wonderful question for you, John. Um, you must be getting questions that I'm not getting because... No, I'm seeing it on the chat. It just came up right now. Oh, mine must be delayed or, or blocked by my VPN. It's a bit of a nightmare <clears throat> with, uh, with uh, hiccups at the moment. Oh, uh, there was a question from Pascal that's been forwarded from Facebook. Um, yes. Pascal says that um, he's been undergoing chemical treatment since 1985. Gosh, that's a long time. To limit the physiological disorders caused by his vagal nerve during periods of intense stress. And is there a method other than medication to regulate the vagus nerve or limit some of its effects on the organs? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I'm actually very intrigued to find out what Pascal was going through um, in terms of medical treatment. I, um, in my book, I talk not at all about medication. Um, I talk about the exercises and the ways to help retone vagus nerve function, to improve vagus nerve function. Uh, 
completely naturally. So there are many tools that we can use and I'm going to discuss those as we go through this. But before we do that, we kind of have to know where the vagus nerve uh, sends signals to and from and how we can address those positively. So as we said, there's nerves going everywhere and, and we need to know that the ones going to the ear are using sensation, which is direct skin sensation. Um, meaning that anytime I touch my ear over here, I'm actually stimulating my vagus nerve. So that's actually the inside part of the ear right over there. Okay. Um, again, talk a lot about it in the book. Um, in terms of motor function, we actually have the, the nerves that go to the back of the airway, the pharynx, muscles of the back of the pharynx, the muscles of the larynx. The reason I have a voice right now and the reason I have tone and pitch in my voice is because my vagus nerve is sending signals to my laryngeal muscles to pull and stretch on the vocal cords and actually cause them to shift accordingly. Gosh. Wow. So those two tools are the ones that we can really use to affect vagus nerve function. Um, but the one that really affects everything is the breath. It all comes down to the breath. And this is something I'm sure um, you've heard through your many interviews as well, that the breath is so strongly associated with our overall health. And think of it this way, when you're stressed, when we're being chased by an evolutionary times by a saber toothed tiger, for example, we have to go, we have to go big, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for being chased by an animal such as a saber toothed tiger, yeah. we, immediately go into a fight or flight state. Our body goes into a sympathetic autonomic functioning state. The idea is survival. We need to get away from this thing as quickly as possible, as, as safely as possible. And so what happens? We turn off our gut. We're not going to have digestion occurring while we're running away. The blood flow to the gut doesn't matter. Yeah. We're going to have our pupils completely dilate because we need to be able to see everything around yeah. us. Yeah. We're going to have um, our, our breath is going to become very shallow, quick, short breaths. Let's get away from this. Our heart rate is going to rise drastically. It's probably going to double or triple from the number that we were at at a rested state. Right. And that's because we shut off the parasympathetic vagus nerve uh, input and we, turn on the sympathetic nerves, which are the fight or flight response. The most fun one for this is we're also potentially going to pee our pants because our bladder is going to void because we lose control of it. And that's mm -hmm. a sympathetic response. Wow. And so that's why when you get scared, you may go into a point where you actually urinate and, and pee your pants type of yeah. uh, concern. So this is actually a sympathetic uh, response. So that happens when we're under stress being chased by a lion, but our body doesn't know the difference between a physical uh, immediate threat to our survival stress and the stress that we put on ourselves by being under artificial light all day, or the stress that we put on ourselves by sitting at the computer for 16 hours at, at a time. Right. Right? Those stressors are all the same. And so what our body's doing when we're under those stressors is we're putting ourselves into a sympathetic state for a long period of time. Mm. And so what can we do? We can actively shift ourselves back to that parasympathetic state using our breath. Our breath is the key to this. And so when we get 
stressed out and, and worried about this saber-toothed tiger that's chasing us, our breath becomes shallow. When we become relaxed, we calm down. We go into a deep, calm, belly-breathing breath. The vast majority of people breathe incorrectly. Yoga teaches us about this. Pilates teaches us about this. There's so many practices. Wim Hof Method teaches us about this. We are not breathing using our diaphragms. Generally, most people are breathing using their, uh, their muscles of their chest. That's why we tend to have very tight muscles in our upper back and shoulders because we're using our accessory breathing muscles, not our diaphragm, our muscle uh, below the chest here. Yes. So when we're breathing with our belly, when we're having our belly uh, expand and contract correctly, we are able to take ourselves to a calm state. We're able to bring ourselves down and allow ourselves to go into that parasympathetic state. And so the breath really is the way that we can affect autonomics as quickly as possible. Anytime you become stressed, what I have my clients do, they're sitting there with me, they're telling their story, they're getting really, really riled up. And all of a sudden I say, okay, close your eyes. Let's take three short or long, deep belly breaths. And we go through this and it's literally three breaths. It probably takes us about 30 seconds to do this. And all of a sudden the energy shifts and they become calm and relaxed and parasympathetic and vaguely toned. But too many of us are sitting in that state all the time. So we need to shift towards that parasympathetic and that's an easy way to do it. So the breath is the number one way. Yes. Now, if we have issues going on, like Pascal has been going on, for so many years where these conditions have been there and the vagus nerve is just not working correctly. Well, we need to tone that nerve. We really need to get it working correctly. Right. So this is where we can use the muscles, uh, the muscular function of the vagus nerves for the laryngeal and the pharyngeal muscles. We can use the uh, sensation in our ears to affect those things. So in terms of treatment, the top three things that I'll have people do is to breathe, optimally. Yes. Gargling. Gargling is a wonderful, wonderful way to tone those muscles and get vagus nerve function optimized. So what I have people do is anytime they're brushing their teeth morning and evening, what you're going to do is keep a glass beside your sink as well. And you're going to use warm water and some salt. And you're just going to go and gargle that as hard as you can using the muscles at the back of the throat. And what you have to do when you're gargling is you have to keep your airway open, but at the same time, you're using your vocal cords. Okay. To try to not let anything go into the uh, epiglottis and not choke while you're <clears throat> gargling, you <throat> need to use both sets of muscles. And so this is a wonderful tool to stimulate from a muscular perspective, getting those things working. Wow. Simple, simple things anyone can do. Exactly. And then the last one to get the, um, the ears affected is not just to go and sit there and play with your ears all day. That would be interesting to say the least if you were to walk by somebody on the street as they were itching their ear for <laughs> 10 blocks. <laughs> um, auricular acupuncture is one of the best, best tools by which um, you can stimulate the vagus nerve because the vagus nerve has 80% of the information on vagus is actually information coming from the gut and the organs of the, the, uh, of the abdomen up to the brain. 20% or 15% is actually information going from the brain to each of those organs. 
3% of the information on the nerve is to the muscles of the back of the throat and to the larynx. And then 2% or that last little bit is sensation to the ear. And so auricular acupuncture can be used to physically stimulate vagus nerve function through the ear. So for Pascal, something that I would highly recommend is go and do some auricular acupuncture. Go to um, a registered acupuncturist, somebody that knows traditional Chinese medicine that understands the points to hit specifically for vagus nerve function. There are some very specific uh, points for that. And acupuncture is a wonderful, wonderful tool to help people overcome these things. So using it in conjunction with the good deep breathing, with the gargling, as well as probably about 20 other exercises that I provide in the book, there's a ton more that you can do. If those three are not enough, there's so much more that you can do. So those three the techniques that you've described, <clears throat> they're to improve the communication of like of the vagus nerve. Exactly. To, to really create um, an increased tone or increased function of the vagus nerve and keep you within that parasympathetic state, but in an optimal functioning state. Right. So what happens if vagus doesn't? Stay in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I actually, funny enough, anytime I uh, sign my book for somebody, I specifically write what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, um, an interest from Roy Ormick. Um, Roy was in a demolition derby um, where the uh, kinetic energy caused his helmet to pull back his entire body into the back seat of the front seat. And from the front to the back. That's um, that's technical speak for he was in a mighty big accident, <clears throat> and he says he probably got whiplash. I w wouldn't surprise me, and perhaps a concussion. Um, but he can't remember, so the obvious was concussion. <laughs> um, the question is, can um, um, would, well, would that affect the vagus nerve, the whiplash? Yeah, a hundred percent. I actually did allude to this earlier that car accidents and physical trauma are uh, very much a, a, a concern for this and, and potentially um, lead to these issues. And if it's an accident that severe, it would not be surprising at all. I've, I've heard this hundreds of times from clients. So that's, that's physical damage. What, what, would you, what could you do against? You know? It's a little bit more difficult when there's physical damage to really affect vagus nerve function. Yes. Um, what I have a lot of people do is, is go to see... Um, manual therapist that can help with repair. So nerves are able to repair. They take time to repair, mm -hmm. but nerves can repair. And so manual therapists that can help you uh, gain back function, uh, ensure that the muscles in the neck and um, nerves in the neck are working well, are probably the best way by which you can do this. And being a chiropractor myself, um, I, I do uh, recommend this to a lot of People and I've helped quite a few kind of work through a lot of the stress that occurs uh, following whiplash and concussion type injuries as well. Right. Uh, a, a question from Betty Stalk Club. Uh, Betty asks, can diabetes damage the vagus nerve? So this is a really interesting question. It, it's almost a chicken or the egg type of situation. Mm -hmm. Can diabetes damage the vagus nerve or is oh. diabetes already in a, an issue when the vagus nerve is, um, is damaged or, or is the vagus nerve kind of the root of, of why diabetes is occurring? Yeah. And this is a really great question because I, I really honestly believe that the vagus nerve dysfunction 
function comes because there's so much uh, from the liver to the brain, it, those are the organs by which we're actually testing the blood sugar to see what the blood sugars are like. And if we can't signal up to the brain to say this is what's going on, then we have dysregulation occurring. So vagus nerve function is strongly, strongly associated with type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance. And I talk a lot more about that in the book. I go really in depth with that. Wow. Sounds like your book is a must read. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> um, uh, a question from Troy uh, Uh The question reads uh, very much like the comment from Roy Ormick just earlier, where <clears throat> Troy describes a, a major accident that fractured his C2, C3, and um, hyperextended stretched all his ligaments on the right side of his head from the impact. This isn't life grand. Um, and 20 years later, he's been diagnosed with lupus and autoimmune disease, um, inflammation and pain. Now, he's asking the question that I'd say almost certainly a yes, could my vagus nerve have suffered damage as well? Yeah, there's, there's about a 100% chance of that. Yeah, yeah 100% chance. Um, Autoimmune disease starts in the gut. This is a really important thing for people to understand. I know you recently had a guest on um, that was talking about autoimmunity and um, that that's a really important factor here. Yes. Uh, the inflammation levels that go around and actually trigger SLE like lupus, for example, or other auto autoimmune diseases, the inflammation comes from the gut. And so it could be linked strongly to gut dysfunction based on dietary factors, based on microbiome issues. But the lack of ability to control the inflammation is coming through the vagus nerve. And the damage that you suffered, Troy, is probably linked to that directly and probably the reason why the, uh, your foot is off the brakes and why the inflammation and immune system function is just through the roof. So doing a lot of these exercises and, um, and following through a lot of these uh, basic tools can be very helpful in addition to making some dietary changes. In addition about to, to ask. I'll never ever say that the, the exercises that I give are the end all and be all. Everything is important. 70% of our health is dictated through our environment. And that includes our diet. That includes our stress levels. That includes um, just the, the room that we're in. The reason I'm in a very clean and, and crisp room is that affects my stress level. And when it's very messy, we tend to become a little bit more stressed out. And so all of these things really affect us. And that's why it's, it's about as clean as it can possibly be right now, especially because I'm on video. <laughs> I was just going to mention how wonderfully clean your room looks, especially compared to mine. The... Um... Uh, the, the diet side, which was something I was just about to ask. Um, if someone's got a compromised vagus nerve, if, if the health of the vagus nerve is reduced, let's say they've done the poppy seed test. Yes. And it's um, taken 36 hours for it to go from point A to point B. Um, what can you do about it with regards to your diet? What things are good for the health of the vagus nerve? Here's the question. What's bad for you? Uh, well, things that are bad for me are things that taste the best. 
<laughs> Hyperpalatable processed foods, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the things that affect our microbiome, right? The things that taste the best yeah. or the taste that the things that cause us to feel like they taste the best yes. are the ones that we need to avoid. Those are hyperpalatable, hyperprocessed foods. Yes. Those foods are actually causing the imbalances in our microbiome. Those environmental triggers are what's causing these things. So what we really need to do is stay away from the sugars, the processed foods, the highly processed things with the high fructose corn syrups and the excess salt and, and all of those foods. That's what we need to stay away from first. Before I recommend going paleo or vegan or keto or anything along those lines, um, the key is cut the crap right? So the diet that I recommend to people is green, clean, and lean. Okay. That's the first thing you want to do. You want to make sure that you limit processed food. I've gone through it, lost enough weight to know what those foods taste like yes. and what real food tastes like. And when we, when we look at the health of communities, like in the blue zones, for example, yes. they're eating a primarily green vegetable-based um, diet with some meat, some eggs, lots of fish, good fats. They're making sure that those things are happening, but green is, is the key to all of these, making sure that we're getting nourishment through these vegetables, through these fruits that are available to us locally, that are from the ground, that are organic where possible, that are naturally grown as close to you in your climate that you're living as possible. So being in Toronto in the cold where luckily there's no snow right now, but there should be, I shouldn't exactly be eating papaya and guava and, and exotic fruits because that's not locally being grown right now. So what I should be having during this time when it's cold is I should be having more of the meats, um, good quality meats, the, the blubber containing foods uh, to make sure that I'm able to maintain amino acid levels and protein levels that are strong, but at the same time, um, not um, excessive and, and not from the crappy agricultural system that we know is affecting us, especially here in North America. So that's where I'll go into the clean. And then the lean is we want to make sure that the meat that we're having is good quality meat. If we're going to be having meat, not everybody needs it, but not everybody doesn't need it. So I'll never recommend that everybody should be paleo or everybody should be keto or carnivore or anything or vegan, anything along those lines. There's not a single diet that's right for everybody. Yes. The key is green, clean and lean. Okay. Okay. You mentioned about um, eating local produce. Now I'm guessing it's more than supporting local industry. Yeah, what, absolutely. What, what is the reason behind that? The reason for that is when we eat locally, we're actually eating things that grow in the climate that we're living in. Yes. And so with globalization and with how the agricultural system works right now, um, my body right now in the wintertime in Toronto should not be eating avocados from warm Mexico. My body shouldn't have those nutrients coming in at this point because it's not built for that during this time. If I was sitting on a beach right now, I'd have no problem having these avocados and exotic fruits. Mm. If I was in that warmth, 
But when you eat locally, what you're doing is you're setting your body up for what's necessary during that time for your body's function. You're not allowing it to say it, those, those inputs are almost like information as to where you're living right now and what your body should be doing. And so if you're eating locally, you're getting that information as to where you currently are and it'll set your cells up with the right um, specific tasks for those cells to do so that you function optimally for that local environment. Right, that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, a question from um, one of our online participants. Um, they're asking, how do you discern whether the vagus nerve itself is operating suboptimally? But I guess the poppy seed test is that specific test. The poppy seed is the easiest one, or it's actually a sesame seed test, but that is the easiest one um, to do at home. Yeah. It's not a direct vagus nerve function, and that's the one that I was talking about with regards to heart rate variability testing. So I'm not actually sure if the, uh, the Spooky 2 has it, um, tracking yeah. HRV via biofeedback. I'll, I'll, I'll turn my VPN off and see if the message comes through because I didn't receive that question. Is that on the chat section of the um, of Zoom? Uh, on the chat of the Zoom here from um, M Herb. Oh, okay. So no, I never got that message. Heart rate variability is a time between beats and the variation of that beats over average over a period of time. Heart rate variability is a direct sign of vagus nerve function. The vagus nerve, it really is the mother vein then. Mother nerve. Yes, it absolutely is the mother nerve. It, it has so much to do with, with stuff and it's so easily overlooked. Um, it's very, very important to know this, yes. And it would appear that so many things can um, cause it to misfunction, it can be damaged. Uh, it's really got to be something you want to watch out for. And like a lot of people have been through um, injuries, whiplash, accidents. And mm -hmm. what they're thinking about is the, the structure, the bones, more, yes. and, and the muscles as a, as a close second. And that's where the story ends. Yes. But this communications highway, which has got the, um, the name vagus nerve, um, is probably more important than those two. Probably. <laughs> Gosh, because if it's, if it's malfunctioning, the whole system falls down. Absolutely. It's, it's overlooked so easily. And not only by us when we get into these accidents or these physical traumas, it's easily overlooked by our doctors. They're, they're tending not to focus on these, these tools that take a little bit more time. And that's why I was so adamant about writing this book and getting this information out to people. Once I knew that there is a positive effect, that I was able to affect a lot of my patients' health people that are dealing with autoimmune diseases, anxiety, brain fog, and gut sensitivities, and diabetes, and a lot of these conditions are linked to this nerve. And so I'm not saying that the nerve is the uh, epicenter, that this is the thing that needs to be fixed, but it's often overlooked in allowing us to get back to normal. And so what we need to do is address the environment, address the diet, and address the stress but address the vagus nerve at the same time, and that's where we get the best results. Right. It's not just a bystander. It's a participant. It is, and it's a very active participant. 
where can people find more information? Where can they buy your book? You can buy my book anywhere on Amazon, on um, online. It's available at uh, pretty much any bookstore, I believe, in North America. In Asia, I don't know. I believe it is being translated into a couple of new languages this coming year uh, or in 2020, which we're now in. So um, it should be available very soon. I'm very excited, but it's um, a lot of hard work went into it and I'm, I'm very proud of what came out of it. So I really hope people do uh, look into this a little bit further and realize the importance of the nerve when they're doing some research. Well, the trick of um, storing your body's state to, to a natural state of health and well-being and having the energy is to understanding and your book is the is uh can be key to that so the great, greater understanding greater knowledge you know how to apply different techniques and actually become like your the the become healthy and more vigorous which is what we all what we all deserve right absolutely oh, and, and um uh m herb is asking the name of the book again the name of the book is Activate Your Vagus Nerve. And Vagus is spelled V-A-G-U-S. Vagus, V-A-G-U-S. Okay. It sounds like a, a fantastic book. Well, I'd like to thank you so much for coming on to our show, um, explain just the, the importance of the vagus nerve, how central a role it plays in our body. Um, before the interview, I was thinking, well, vagus nerve, really? A whole hour about a nerve? <laughs> But what we've, what we've talked about, we haven't really finished it, have we? We haven't covered it properly in the hour that we've had because there's more to it. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's opened my eyes. And um, I'm sure it's, um, it has as well for a lot of our viewers. So I do recommend that uh, you get the book and uh, read up and, uh, and um, find out these simple techniques you can use to exercise your vagus and get it to be functioning as it should be absolutely it's my absolute pleasure dr happy thank you so much for coming on our show it's been, it has been terrific having you on it's been very enjoyable i'm very glad thank you so much for having me i'm i'm glad to be able to share this with the audience and get this information out and help as many people as possible so thank you again thank you okay you take care enjoy your summer your winter solstice and uh, let's hope summer <laughs> comes soon <laughs> so you can start having those those summer fruits. <laughs> okay, you take Wonderful. care. Take care. Everybody. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you and to all of our viewers. Bye bye.